Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Do you remember Tracy? Yes. Wasn't that uh, episode 61 that we did on the podcast with her? How did you know that? Oh, because you told me. You actually looked it up. I did. And I... You're trying to be I, more prepared. I think it's... <laughs> I think it's funny that you're acting coy like, yeah, I think I remember Tracy. She's only your best friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you remember Tracy. Yes. One of the things that I love about Tracy, yes, episode 61 of the podcast, if you haven't listened to it yet, we hope you go back and you do. One of the things that, and I, I don't actually remember if Tracy said this on the podcast or if she said it to us another time, but she's she's great at describing that when her husband got sober, one of the biggest desires that she had for his sobriety was that he'd be more engaged with the family, that he would participate in conversations and help with decision making and just be there, not not be hunkered away, drinking and isolated. And one of the greatest lines I've ever heard in the alcoholism recovery and prevention world is that when her husband got sober, it turns out he has opinions <laughs> and she wasn't expecting that or counting on that. Yeah. And that's a challenge. It is. That's a big challenge. That's what we want to talk about today. Be careful. You might get what you asked for. Sobriety, it doesn't fix anything, but it certainly does change people. And the thing that we wanted or expected uh, all along when it comes to fruition and reality, it might be a little bit different than what we expected. And we need to be prepared for that. Sherry, when I was an alcoholic... I was depressed a lot. I spent a lot of time moping around. I checked out from the family a lot of times. There was always the other side of the the coin too, the overly enthusiastic side of things. Mm -hmm. If we went to a neighborhood party, I wanted to stay way too long. If we went to some event where we drove together, you know, I was staying till the last beer was gone from the cooler and you were unfortunately kind of forced in many instances to stay right alongside me. So there's that, but there's there's the extra partying, but there's also the extra moping. And then there's Sunday afternoons. Sunday afternoons were just a disaster around our house. I would drink too much and just sulk and drink and watch sports on TV. And then when all the sports were done, I'd watch just whatever. I don't even know what I would watch. But Moulin just, Rouge. just oh, I do love me some Moulin Rouge. Don't know I don't know why you got to talk about all my dirty little secrets <laughs> on this podcast. I wasn't the one that, you know, started I love, about the crybaby. Yes, about I the crybaby um, hair band songs, but you brought that up. But oh, glad yes. we're talking about it again. Yes. Want to talk about the bucket? <laughs> I could, but I won't. Yeah, so Sunday afternoons, I would just be sulking in our basement where our kind of family room TV area was and drinking and when the sports were over, watching whatever I could find just to justify the fact that I was going to stay down there and not re-engage with the family. So you had all these these just attractive traits to deal with with me between the depression and the moping and the over-exuberance just... Big pendulum swings to the euphoric side and to the depressed side. And all of it was pretty unattractive and unappealing. And so one of the side issues with that is you did a lot of decision making and you did a lot of bonding with the kids. And there was a lot of stuff that I wasn't involved in. I know you've talked about like taking the kids to a movie on an afternoon or an evening when I was drinking and you were worried about how much I was drinking. And I know that that, you know, the impetus for that is traumatic. It's not pleasant to have to scurry your kids out the door to go to a movie. But was there was there some bonding that took place? Was there parts of that that you enjoyed having the kids all to yourself? Hmm. I would say, yeah, because I feel like a lot of the times parenting with you was very difficult. Um, even it, it, even in times that you weren't drinking, 
you were much more of a of a poo-poo, I guess would be a good way. Like, if we were to go to a movie, and yeah, I just always went to the, like, cheapy movies and um, matinees, but you would have probably been like, oh, we don't need popcorn because we have plenty of food at home. Like, that's just your <laughs> curmudgeon cheap bastard side of personality. <laughs> Or if we had gone we to the plenty of food at home. Yeah, like we don't need to eat so, while uh, we're. Yeah, okay. we don't need we to can eat, eat while we get home. Yeah, like that's your personality type. Or like you know, if we were to go to the zoo for the you know zoo lights, it's like trying to crack you open your wallet to buy the hot chocolate. I mean, we probably brought our own hot chocolate in because yours was spiked. But so those sort of things, it just didn't make it seem as fun. And is enjoyable, and I just always, you know, I you always had this like cloud over your head of like, oh, there's just more money being spent. Was it all and, financial, or were there ever any well, other things? Well, and then that just like not letting them like be kids or enjoy themselves, or <laughs> so just small things, just not letting the kids be kids. Well, I mean, like, you know, uh, say there was a sprinkler at the park and they were going to get wet. You, You'll get the car wet. Yeah, something. Like, it would just be those sort of little things that that was maybe a control or you're just like, oh, God. All the I'm towels are at home with the food. Suffering. I'm just suffering being here with you is kind of the feeling that I got. Yeah. Um, And I guess, like, we kind of bonded together thinking of it as, like, survivors bonding, too. Like, okay, we're out of the house. You know, but I was always tense, so it wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it was great and fun. I mean, obviously I was tense or sometimes, you know, there had been an argument beforehand and... Tension driven by my alcoholism. Yeah, so... living in... Yeah. Yeah. So like the time I went to... Terror. Yeah. The kids, two older kids got birthday gifts that were zip lining and we were going in to the foothills mountains to do this and you and i i don't even know what happened you and i got into a squabble beforehand so going off to do something fun and exciting with our two older kids for their birthdays you know was just awful leaving and the two younger boys were here with you so you know it's just it was just always a frustration yeah never knew what to expect yeah but knew it probably wouldn't be good yeah, so, I mean, there was always a cloud in the things that we did to escape the cloud in the house. So, okay, so there was uh, some bonding going on, but pretty much my curmudgeonliness carried over even when it was just you and the kids. <laughs> I like that. Yes. I like that Curmudgeon. term that you used. <laughs> so, something interesting happened in my early sobriety. So, you know, you had wanted for a long time for me to get sober. I wouldn't say that you, certainly not toward the end of my drinking, you didn't have any false impressions that me getting sober was going to fix everything or even anything, really. Mm -hmm. I think you knew that we had some serious relationship problems, damage that was done that wasn't just going to be undone by me stopping drinking. Um... So you didn't have any of those kind of false impressions. But early in our sobriety, some things that happened kind of took me by surprise. And I think that they fit into this category of, be careful, you might get what you asked for. Um, I Shortly after I stopped drinking, I started working from home more and more and and wasn't going into a physical workplace. And I noticed after a few months of doing that, that you were gone a lot. And I even said to you, you know, I I think you're avoiding me. I don't think all these places you're going and things you're doing during the day are actually necessary. I think you're leaving just because you don't want to be around me. Do you remember that? Because you confirmed it. You said yeah, yes. Yeah, I, I can remember it. I'm trying to figure out, like, was it early in your sobriety or a couple years in? Okay. Well, it was, it was at some point in my sobriety. You were basically avoiding me. Yeah. I wouldn't say avoiding you. I would say I felt like my domain was taken over because we, you had been working on our business for many years and then our business closed. We didn't renew. A, we didn't find another location because our lease wasn't renewed. So I did feel like I couldn't be in my own house. 
I felt like you were either judging me, even though you were probably not. I felt like you were judging me, like, why is she doing that? I wonder why she's doing that. Or you'd be like, what are you doing? And it would be just a casual question, not like a judge question. But that's kind of the point. That's kind of the point. You know, when I was zoned out and moping around the basement and ignoring the family and isolated, I probably wasn't judging you. I mean, certainly there were times where I saw you do something and I would go ape shit and it would cause a big argument. So I'm not saying that that never happened. But for more of the time than not, I wasn't really paying attention to what you were doing. And then all of a sudden, I'm sober all the time and my eyes are wide open and I'm bouncing around here. You know, like a private investigator checking right. out what everybody's doing. Yeah. And so the thing that we had all hoped for, my sobriety, it had some negative consequences because all of a sudden I was paying attention to everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. And so even when I would say casually, what you up to? What you doing? And I legitimately didn't care what you were doing or even care if you answered the question. It would feel like kind of an inquisition to you. Mm-hmm. So that's why you you got a boyfriend and would leave the house every day. It's <laughs> not true. Well, but you would you did you did just well the manager at the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. Because you would go there a lot and no, just anywhere to, to the, be out of the house. <clears throat> I went to the I went to the rec center a little bit more, the gym a little bit more. I went to my office at my church and did more work from there. When I used to work from home, yeah, doing that a lot more. Um. I did find more things to do, um, like a Bible study, and then would try to like go on a walk or go get coffee with a friend, because all of our kids were in school full time. I also felt like a little bit like maybe you needed to not be distracted, so I felt like maybe if I was folding laundry, watching TV, you might think, why is she doing that? Oh, like, you thought, she, I remember, you thought I would be judgmental if you were folding you, laundry and yeah. watching TV. And then, then like, your oh, mind look at would, you, you all-day bonbon eater, you yeah. get to sit here and watch, watch TV, TV and TV fold laundry, lucky you. But then I thought maybe that might cause you to be distracted and, and get your mind spinning, or it could turn into a discussion about how much more productive I'd be if I turned the TV off while I was folding the laundry, or... Ooh, the kind um, of unwanted input unsolicited unsolicited advice that an alcoholic in early sobriety tends to offer many times during arguments and conversations of drunken nature there had been you know my lack of organizational skills and time management often came into um some of those things that you like i guess played on my insecurities about so yeah. But, but a lot of the things that would fly under the radar when I was drinking, because I just frankly didn't care or pay attention, all of a sudden I was paying attention to. And even if I was asking you about them casually in a way that I legitimately didn't care what you were doing, and I'm not trying to defend myself or be defensive, I just I remember not, not really caring a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, because of some of my bad reactions in the past, you would get defensive and just kind of try to stay away from me as much as possible to avoid judgment, perceived or real judgment, whether it was there or not. Is that fair? Yes. Okay. So, so that this is one of the side effects of sobriety that I think is, it falls into our category of universalisms. We hear about it a lot. Um, the person that was the drinker gets sober and there are unintended consequences they all of a sudden inject themselves into the life of the of the spouse or the life of the family and it's you know after the person has cut a groove of knowing how to go through the day or the week or the month or the year without a lot of input from the drinker in their life all of a sudden there's a lot of input and it's difficult to deal with well and I'm I'm just going to correct something that you said in the beginning of the podcast. Not because I want to try to um, negate what you were saying, but you were saying that, you know, turns out he has opinions and that I had been in control of things and I had made a lot of decisions while you were drinking that you were unaware of. Um, I feel like you had a lot of 
desire to know what was going on and control the situation for things um, because you still wanted to look like you were being a part of the family, perhaps, when you were drinking. Um, so I wouldn't say that for me, I don't feel like all of the responsibilities of the children or the house or decisions, you know, were all falling upon me and you were just out. I feel like you had always had knowledge of what's going on when it comes to the household stuff and the kids. I just don't feel like you knew how I spent my days, you know, through the week. Like you knew I had like a ladies Bible study one day and then I had work, you know, a staff meeting at church. But if you went to the movie theater with the kids and I wasn't there, I just wasn't involved in whether or not you bought popcorn. Right. You weren't involved there, but you also were involved in go to the matinee because I don't want to have to deal with an evening, Sunday evening, you guys being out because you had, you know, you would rather have everybody home Sunday evening. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I, I stuck my nose in any place that I was paying attention enough to know that I could stick my nose in, but there were, I guess the point is there were lots of times when you were off with the kids or off by yourself doing things that I didn't, you know, I didn't know about. And I don't mean to make that sound like you were in covert operations, nothing, you know, secretive, but you made a lot of little decisions that I wasn't aware of. And then all of a sudden when I started participating, oh, I think we should go right instead of left. Um, or, you know, I, I think we should see this movie instead of that movie. Whereas my input wasn't even a part of it before when I was drinking. So, mm. I mean, I don't know. I think the the point I made, I think, is still valid. You're you're right. I didn't. I wasn't just okay, completely I, a hands off to, dad. And yeah, I didn't want to paint you in that light. Like you never had an opinion, or you didn't care. You weren't paying attention. I see what you mean. Just the little things, like yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, I was ever present, being a part of all the decisions instead of just the ones that I was aware of. And I just think that's hard for the the um, loved one, the spouse, to deal with when all of a sudden we're there a lot more than we had been in the past. And this applies to more than just the marital relationship. It applies to other family relationships as well, um, specifically with our kids. You know, our kids had learned just like, you know, whenever we talk to the wife of an alcoholic, the spouse of an alcoholic, they can say that they, there were tells, there are tells for when their husband is drinking. Um, they don't have to see the drinking taking place. Sometimes it's the way their steps sound as they walk across the hardwood floor or the way their eyes look when they look at them um, or a gesture that they make with their hands. The, the loved ones of the alcoholics can, if they've been with the drinker for long enough, they can tell that that person's been drinking without ever seeing the drinking taking place. And it's not it's not things that people that don't know that person would pick up on. It's not like slurred words or they wreck their car. It's, it's these subtle things. And so you could tell that whether or not I had been drinking pretty easily, correct? Yes. Yeah. What your, was, so what were my Your thoughts? eyes. Your eyes. Were they getting they like droopy or bloodshot or... Not bloodshot. Bulge out on springs. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. They just looked different. It's like your forehead went down, but you were trying to widen your eyes to make your eyes look bigger. Is it like that? <laughs> I wish that we could see this picture. Maybe that's the picture you should put instead of the two of us for the blog I don't know. announcement. I don't think that's very attractive. But So your eyes changed. It's like you were trying to keep them wide to like let everybody know you were. Now I gotta go were, through pictures. I want to see <laughs> that you were awake. You were here. You were functioning. Plenty of drunken pictures of me. Um, able to find something. Yeah, or how quickly you made um, a judgment. Oh, like snap at things. Well, good or bad, like you would just you would quickly react. Like if we said. Oh, we got popcorn, and then if I had, you know... Why'd you get popcorn? There's plenty of food no. at home. And then I was just say, if we got popcorn, and then say, oh my goodness, like we got ice cream or something. Also, you'd be like, popcorn and ice cream. And depending on if you were in a good mood or bad mood, you'd be like, 
wow, kids, how lucky are you? You know, like you'd just be too animated. Yeah. Or And then, you know, maybe later you'd be like, I can't believe you let them have all that junk food, blah, blah, blah. But, or you would get kind of grouchy. And We're the having Pop-Tarts for dinner tonight. You know, or you'd get really grouchy. Be like, gosh, I can't believe your mom let you eat that much junk food. And then the kids would go to their room and feel bad about themselves. Like their, you know, choice of not saying no. And then I would feel bad, so... So the kids, good point. That's what I wanted to talk about. They could, maybe it wasn't the forehead forward, eyes wide open, but they had their own tells. They could, and maybe it was the same, I don't know, but they could tell when it was a good idea to avoid me uh, because either they were afraid that I would be angry or grumpy or mopey, any of these characteristics. Do you think, like, was it, was it time-related for our kids? Did they know, like, on Sunday evening just to leave Dad alone? Or did they have to, like, see me and kind of get a grasp for whether they should stay out of my path or not? Or did you tell them? Did you tell them... I think it could be all of those now's things. Now's a day to stay away from Dad. I think it could be all of those things. I think they could... Maybe... I think that probably for the older ones, when they were... When you were drinking, they probably knew how many beers you had. They could, because if they were playing in the downstairs family room close by, and I would think that, you know, they would kind of know when it was, a, you know, when you were drinking heavily because they could tell by you going to the um, refrigerator downstairs. And um, I think also with just the way you spoke, there was a tell, you know, in, in your quick judgments and time of day. Yeah. And probably I would say this isn't a good day. For dad, or they could tell by me being tense or worried. It's uh, it's heartbreaking to think of it, to think that I put my kids through having to be that intuitive and avoid me. It's the last thing I ever would have wanted. Um, so they had to go through that, and they had to to learn the signs and learn when it was a bad time to be around me. And then they too have had to experience now all of a sudden dad is constantly bright eyed and bushy tailed and full of opinions. And that is a really hard adjustment for our kids to make, especially like you said, the older ones, because they were used to inconsistency and moping and even just downright depression sometimes and me being checked out and then all of a sudden I'm basically all up in their business and not even in a negative way but in a way that was unfamiliar and it was a really it 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 still is it's a really hard adjustment I think we're all trying to find our own groove and you know, the reason I wanted to talk about this on the podcast is because just very recently I've kind of come to some conclusions uh, and decided to change my parenting style with our older kids because I think even in sobriety, even in long-term sobriety, even in my fifth year of sobriety, I have been making mistakes that are the opposite of the mistakes I used to make. Instead of moping and them needing to avoid me and me being grumpy or agitated or have big mood swings, you know, that might not be what they have to deal with anymore, but they do have to deal with me shoving my opinions down their throats. And especially for kids that haven't had that their whole life, that's a huge thing to get used to. And it's not welcome. It's not welcome by them. One of the things that I have dealt with in the last few years is this compulsion to share everything I've learned. Now, that relates to life in general, but it also relates very specifically to alcohol and alcohol and drugs and any kind of addiction. all of this. Well, any kind of addiction, but even beyond addiction, just psychology, just all that we've learned about, you know, the human brain and emotions and the things we talk about, like detachment and boundaries and. Just, you know, uh, relationships. Oh, my God. Sex and how 
how badly God, you can't even how stop. badly kids are taught are taught about sex in school and how even our kids have their eye rolling. Oh God, we have to have another sex. I know. I know. We made them watch a a documentary about the porn industry and how bad that is, and we made them watch, or I shouldn't say we, I made them watch. That movie that I love that's so depressing. Beautiful Boy. Beautiful Boy. Now they're like, oh, we have to watch a family movie. And heroin addiction. And uh, and all of it is for, you know, out of love. and Because we had the opposite with our parents. Yeah, we had no information. Yeah. So we're trying to... Say no to drugs, Nancy Reagan, and use a condom. Yeah. Don't get a girl pregnant. Probably was one of yours. Don't get a disease. Yeah. So that's kind of... So we overdid it. In a way, and it's the same. It's the same thing as, you know, in active addiction. I was checked out and depressed and isolated, and then in sobriety, I'm all up in everybody's business. It's it's the same thing. The information that was shared with us when we were young was insufficient, and so now the information that we're sharing, which I have until very recently thought was perfect, because you can't possibly over communicate that's something that i've said for years and anyone who's ever heard me talk uh knows that that's a principle that i live by i can't possibly over communicate but you can't turns out you can't turns out you can over communicate just I... like tracy taught us turns out he's got opinions and they're not all welcome i'm just gonna say this for our listeners the the documentary that we had our children watch about the porn industry was run through CNN and it was Lisa Ling, investigative reporting. This is was, life, I think she calls this it. This is life. It yeah. was a very mild. It just you know I don't want to make anyone think that we had this porno porn. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't even porno know what document. That. I mean, but you know, like I just want to make sure that people understood that this was a tasteful investigative reporter it showed like you know different elements and it talked to people that had addictions that were even younger yeah it wasn't a, a porn documentary yeah. run on cinemax after yeah. dark yeah it's, no. it yeah it wasn't produced by hustler right you know i just want to clarify that because some of our children like to say to like you know friends and family Mom and Dad made us watch a thing about a porn thing. Yeah. Like, that's how they describe it. That's terrible. And it's terrible. So, I don't want any of our listeners to, like, think, oh my gosh, these are terrible parents. It was just, it was falling under the umbrella of addiction. And because we have young men and we have a young lady as daughter that we just want to make sure they get all the information. That's right. But, okay. We're communicating. But there you go. That's the problem. We want to make sure they get all the information. <laughs> and until recently, I thought that made us good parents. And now I think, oh, God, we've over, we've gone too far the other direction. And so my compulsion to share everything that we've learned about, about everything with, with the kids, um, you know, part of it for me is I've always, I felt like there's like a clock that's running out. Like as soon as... They graduate high school and they're 18. They're not kids anymore. They're emancipated. And that's also an age where traditionally kids really don't give a rip what their parents are saying anyway. I felt like I have to get all this knowledge transferred from my cranium to theirs before then because that's when they're going to shut us off and stop listening. And if I have forgotten to tell them something, I'll never forgive myself for it. But it also turns out that I don't think 18 is... The magic number. I think it starts probably a little bit before that, considering what one of our person in Echo said when we had this discussion. Yeah. Yeah, I stopped listening to my parents long before the age of 18 or something. Yeah. Like that. Well, whatever the age is, this compulsion that I have to share everything, um, it's, it's, I think, driving our kids away. And it's... You know, my greatest fear since I first got sober has been more so than that I would relapse or, you know, any other tragic thing that I could think of. My greatest fear has been that our kids would become, or even one of our kids would become an alcoholic. And so a driving force in my life has been, okay, I got sober, I learned all this stuff, I'm going to, 
I'm going to share it with them so that they won't fall into the same hole I did. And if I've got to lock them in the basement and chain them to the wall to prevent them from being alcoholics, I'm going to do it, whatever it takes. And, you know, I mean, it's it sounds even obvious to me saying it out loud now, but it's new information for me. You know, you are damned if you don't tell them enough, but you are also damned if you tell them too much. And just like everything in life, there's an equilibrium. There's a sweet spot that you got to find. And until you do, um, you know, you're, you're either you're either lacking or you're overdoing it. Do you agree with that? Is that how you feel too? That there's an equilibrium. That there's a, a, a middle of the road. Yeah. Where yeah, because I know that um, you can either have no information and um, then you can have too much. Because even just recently when we were visiting family, I was chatting with my mother who... I don't remember how the conversation came up, but she said, you overshare, you overexplain, you overtell, you've done it to the kids their whole lives. And I realized as a parent, I have explained things so they understand the reasoning behind why they can't get what they want, why you can't eat, you know, raw cookie dough. It's because of the eggs and salmonella and blah, blah, blah. And But I know growing up, I was, my mom didn't have a whole lot of patience being a single parent. So there were just lots of no's. And cut off. And I never understood why, or not a lot of explanation. Boy, did that piss you off when she told you you over It did in a way, but then I was like, she's probably right. Because I'm sure I do. I think I've, with learning about codependency in our relationship, and I'm, I am, we're both working on trying to step back and let our older kids make more adult decisions and have a little bit more freedom, but still being there to have guidance, you know, finding that fine line. I do realize that sometimes I, I, you know, have in the past over-explained. And I know with our youngest, he maybe I've developed him to be a questioner personality because when he's just told a simple answer, he asks questions from getting more information. Maybe I've trained him to be that type of personality because a simple no isn't sufficient enough for him anymore and then it just feels like an argument um so it kind of aggravated me yeah but then I took it with a grain of salt and thought yeah I do because I wanted to give my kids and I didn't pipe back to her going yeah I wanted to give my kids information because I feel like you just never told me why it was a it was this way there was a lot of details you left out and then you shared like details that I didn't need to know and in some things. So it was know. very respectful of you not so to I just fire thought, back like that. Yeah, but I was like, yeah, I have because I didn't want them to not understand because I thought I was doing a better job being a parent, explaining why or giving choices and explaining why each choice would be better. And There's this parenting philosophy that you need to let your kids make their own mistakes. And especially as it relates to anything around you know, getting in trouble as a teenager, which is sex, drugs, alcohol, those Mm. kinds of things. I just, I have never been able to even come close to adopting the philosophy of you got to let your kids make their own mistakes. Um, I think those are, those are areas which are very life altering and life changing and, and life ending perhaps. Well, especially when it comes to drugs and alcohol, alcohol and other drugs, as I should properly say it. Um, you know, in a, in a teenager, their prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed yet, and drugs, alcohol and other drugs, stunt the growth of their prefrontal co- cortex, which I can tell often. That's why my forehead leaned forward when I was drunk, because <laughs> it was really light. My prefrontal cortex isn't Until you hit about 45. Because, well, it's just, it's soaked in alcohol and not very effective. <laughs> Because of all the drinking that I did as a teenager and as an early 20-something. But yeah, so just letting them make their own mistakes when it can impact the rest of their lives. Not only for, you know, you get someone pregnant and you've got a baby for the rest of your life or you wreck a car and, you know, hurt a person. But also you can, you know, impact the way your brain functions for the rest of your life by the decisions you make early. So yeah, I've always just rejected that notion of... Let let the kids make their own mistakes and deal with the consequences. 
but now just just very recently i think i'm adopting more of a philosophy that that again this is another area where i as a child i as a kid as a teenager went way too far on the reckless side of things and then we are trying to prevent our kids from doing anything wrong and maybe going way too far on the conservative side of things and maybe the the truth the sweet spot is somewhere in the middle and we've got to bless and release as they say we've got to say hey here's what we know um here's what alcohol and other drugs do to you here's the impact of, of teen pregnancy here are all the things but um yeah you can stay out on friday and saturday night and we're not going to micromanage where you are and you don't have to check in every 10 minutes and we're just going to hope for the best because i think some of the micromanaging that we have done in the interest of keeping them safe is driving them away so yeah they'll be safe but they'll resent us for a long time and then who knows what they'll do when they're fully on their own and you know not even within range of us maybe they'll go hog wild and get drunk and pregnant and stoned all at the same time on purpose wow because that happens well, I mean, you know what I mean. Kids going hog wild, that happens. Yes, that does. Yeah. Do you have any such fears? Um, that we've had them under our thumb too much and that's what's going to happen? And I, the reason we've had them under our thumb is for good reasons, but... Yeah, I feel like we have them had them under our thumb for good reasons. Um, and I feel like maybe sometimes we've... Um, stunted decision making with the oldest because we made the decisions for them or we helped guide them towards a decision that we thought was the proper thing with our unwanted advice unwanted unsolicited sometimes advice and um i think that also like with time management you know like something i have learned and it was our daughter's senior year in high school, I think. And the summer before her senior year, I was trying to get her to make her own dentist appointment because she kept saying, well, you know, I've got all these, you know, sports in the summer and uh, my schedule's crazy, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, you know, you need to get your teeth clean. That's dental hygiene. That's what we do. And so I let her make it and it never happened. And I was frustrated and I kind of hatefully, I'm sure, said, if you get a cavity, you're paying for it, you know, if you're not going to take care of your teeth. So I don't know how that situation resolved itself, but, you know, now she's in between her freshman and sophomore year of college, and I'm hoping that she gets some of her checkups and teeth cleaning done while she's home for the summer. Um, but I'm not pushing her. I, like, threw those out there at the beginning of her summer here at home, and just letting her make them and it's hard to watch your kids kind of struggle with that because you want to explain away and that's been my way of being a parent was over explain apparently and well it was said to us uh just recently that all of this stuff that i have this compulsion to impart on our kids they're not they don't have the capacity to take it all in now anyway so it doesn't matter if you if you give a big lecture on dental hygiene or I give a big lecture on the prefrontal cortex it's just in one ear and out the other for now mm-hmm. because they don't have enough life experience enough interest in the topic tangible experience they yeah. just don't have anything that's going to make them glom onto that and maybe later in life when they've hit a few bumps in the road and they've got some challenges then maybe our life experience might be more welcome um, but yeah, they would, they wouldn't even be able to go into the memory banks and pull out the information that was shared about their, you know, how to brush your canines properly, um, when you shared it with them in the summer of 2021, because that doesn't even, you know, find a place in the memory banks. Yes. So sometimes it's not only are we driving away, but it's wasted breath. I'm curious, Sherry, um, one of the things, there, there's a resentment 
that can take place from, you know, in, in our case, in our marriage, you wanted me to be there in ways that I was not capable of being there when I was drinking. And then I got sober and I was there. And rather than just accept my presence, my um, involvement in areas, my my constant sobriety, my annoying constant sobriety, rather than just accept it and welcome it, it's kind of like, yeah, where was this when I needed it? You know, and I don't know if you've felt that way, but I know that that happens a lot in alcoholic relationships. You know, I, I really needed you in the, in the spring of 2014 when that horrible thing happened and you weren't there for me. And now you're sober and who gives a shit? I don't need you now. I needed you then. And I'm wondering what you think. Do, do you think that any of that kind of resentment takes place with our kids? Do you think that now they think, oh, you know, dad's constantly poking his head in my room and sharing all his stupid life knowledge that I don't give a shit about. And where was that when he was passed out on the couch when I was younger and, and I needed I needed him to be there for me now then? Do you think any of that is a part of it? I mean, you know our kids pretty well. Yeah. You've known them your whole it, life, their whole life. I, I guess some of it could be that. And I also feel like it could be that they don't know how to approach it and engage in this new, new dad sort of behavior. I feel like the younger ones are coming around and being more accepting. I feel like, you know, the... The... Where I wouldn't say like liberation, but our oldest son, he um, has his license in his high school, and we have a car for him to drive, and so he learned to navigate. Like, hey, can I go out and and try to negotiate, not navigate, but negotiate, you know, curfews and what he can do and what his boundaries are. So I feel like that was a big learning curve um, for him to kind of step up to asking for things for himself. And I don't think there was a resentment. Maybe there was resentment there, but I think now it's it's um, kind of like he had to learn a skill and, and be able to approach you because he would have always been worried or never did anything in the days of your drinking. Yeah. Or he would have he... asked me, and then I would have been like, I don't know what Dad's going to say. Ugh. Because I did do that. Like, I would sure. never know what, how you were going to behave. I mean, if you it. could make the decision and I'd never find out about it, you then, would do that. Yeah, I would. No yeah. problem. But if you knew that I would eventually notice one of our children missing. <laughs> or that it would have been, you know, like, you know, if it was going to be a later night and they yeah. were going to go do something with a friend and the friend's parents and it was going to be a later night, I'd be like, God, you know, he just he likes everything to be a certain way at nine o'clock and. So he can go to sleep and go to bed to be up in the morning for the bakery. So I think that if there was resentment there, he's learned a skill to, and has tools to work through that. I think that's been good for him. Did you ever feel any of that? I mean, one of the things that we've talked a lot about, for instance, the birth of our children. Um, every There was alcohol in my system for the birth of every one of our children. Do you ever think back on that and think, God, I, that, in the moment I most needed you, you weren't there for me? I mean, I know I was physically there. I but... feel like I feel like me saying, oh, it's time. Like you, I know that you can't. You like if you were to have a breathalyzer, you would have had alcohol in your system. I feel like you stepped up. I don't feel, I don't ever feel like that was a, a bad situation. Um, what about when you had to take? our second youngest, second oldest, pardon me, to the hospital with croup and left me at home in the middle of the night with our oldest. Now that's what... one that has caused you heartburn, and, and rightly so. I don't mean to downplay it, but you were worried about that. <clears throat> I, yeah, I, I guess I would think that there was no other option, really. I mean, you you were sleeping. But I there's was no sleeping, just but... lingering anger at me for... I can't. I'm trying to think. You asshole, how'd you leave me in this spot? Maybe you should pause that recording and then I can think about it for a little bit and give you an answer because mm. I am seriously trying to like roll through the back of my brain. I can tell you one, um, and I don't know if it 
if it's directly correlated with your you actively drinking at that moment or just your behavior in general that happened during your days of drinking of um kind of over controlling a situation and seeing that you're up against the wall and you have to do this this and this and this and you've got all these people to take care of i had um hernias repaired after the birth of our fourth child a few months after he was born and we did it when he was young because I had a weight limit that I could carry around post-surgery. So I had a really hard time coming out of the anesthesia. So that was probably very stressful for you because you had, we had friends watching the older kids. You had the baby. Um, you know, I had only pumped a couple of bottles. I thought I would be in the clear and wake up from the anesthesia. So I'm sure it was very stressful and you were running back and forth kind of between our friend's house, checking on the kids and doing work at the bakery, and then the checking in at the surgery center to see how I was doing. So I'm sure that it was all very stressful for you. I don't know. I was just comatose still, living in dreaming land. But that weekend, you were kind of militant in your behavior. Ooh, what do you mean? Kind of barking orders and leave your mother alone and, you know... Like, sort of things like those kind of conversations that I could hear in the house. Um, and I remember on Sunday afternoon, I was trying to get up and out of bed. And I I don't remember what I was doing. And you're like, you get back in bed. Now I'll let you get a rest. You got to recover. Yeah. I, you need to be ready for Monday. And I'm like, I also need to know how much I can get up because I do have to change diaper. I do have to help make sure that the kids are dressed for school because we had a, a three and a half year old. I, I'm Maybe they weren't in school yet. Maybe that was a lucky thing, but I, I think that we had an activity and I, but I still like everybody has to get up and get dressed. There has to be breakfast made. Like we had, you know, kids that were third grade and younger. So I remember you're just that. And I kept thinking, why don't you just be nice to me? Yeah. Why don't you just be nice? And then the worst thing was you were horny by Sunday night. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I thought, I can't even catch a break. I can't even have surgery. Laparoscopic, I understand, but I can't even have surgery without having to perform. And that was kind of the way it was a little bit, like, postpartum, I feel like, some of the times. Maybe, you know, not with the first, because we were, you know, it was our, you had taken off work, and there wasn't so much of that pressure, because we didn't have other responsibilities, and you had a company job where you had vacation, and we had good insurance through your work. But then with the other children, we either had family in town, and that added an extra level of pressure. But you became, like, over-controlling of the situation. And you weren't just, like, letting the kids come in and snuggle on me and watch TV. So I guess I, that was the only time I think that I really felt like I needed you just to be nice and loving and not barking orders and not being in control and order a fucking pizza. You know, and let the kids eat pizza in bed with me on Saturday night. But you just needed things to be the way that you felt that would be the best. Without ever consulting the patient. Gotcha. Sorry. Oh, I know you didn't mean to. But I think that, like I said, I think it was just that. Stress leading in and that your compulsion to control because it was also going to disrupt your weekend. I don't know if that played into it with drinking and you were frustrated or it was making you more anxious because my recovery was happening on the weekend. Because that, you know. Those are hard memories for sure. Hard memories of unwelcome control. Um, I, I wonder 
what what brought those what what part of this discussion brought those memories because I mean it's terrible and I wish it hadn't happened but I I don't I guess I'm not following how it relates to how you weren't there when I needed you to be um no well I mean obviously that's me not being there when you needed me to be but was there a time that later when I was there that sparked that you know I don't want you I don't want to hear about you being here now because you weren't here back when I needed you no I'm sorry I misunderstood your question that's okay I, I thought was there a time that I wanted you around and you weren't because you were drinking but no because there were lots of times when you wanted me around and I wasn't because of my drinking yeah I mean maybe just that's a pretty traumatic example though I just maybe maybe to answer the question I guess there's maybe just smaller incidences of where I I wasn't so much resentful of you being there but like why do you have an opinion now like our our friend Tracy says oh he has an opinion like you didn't give a shit or pay any attention about it before and why do you have to be so involved now yeah you know so maybe it's just little things yeah because you know they say you don't sweat the small stuff, but it's all about the small stuff in a lot of ways. Well, I'm gonna that can add up. I'm gonna try to find that middle road as it relates to our kids and not be, um, not be all up in their business and offering suggestions and advice now because just in case they do have feelings like that, memories like that, things that where they wished I had been been there in a good way back then and I wasn't, um, and so now me being there for them in a, uh, you know, hopefully helpful way now isn't all that welcome. So we can overdo it. Overdo it to the lousy, deadbeat, drunk father side and overdo it to the, here I am now, look at me. I've got all these opinions and suggestions and ideas side. So nobody ever said parenting was easy. I'll take diapers and, and, you know, babies crawling around and pacifiers any day. Way easier than, than this stuff. Thanks for talking it through with me, Sherry. You're welcome. I'm sorry. It's okay. Hmm. I don't know what it's you're not sorry really. for. Well, that was a, that's the first time you've told that story on the podcast. Oh. Well, I'm just sorry that I misunderstood your question. I thought that was the question, but yeah. So. No, we're good. It was a good discussion. Thanks for having it with me. Yeah. Love you. Love you. Bye. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to SoberEvolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.